Hey guys, this is John Barksell, and I just want to tell you, if you haven't listened to the Three Ball Podcast, you're missing out on a host that's headed for brighter lights and bigger things. Galt Goldman has a plethora of accurate statistics, and his sports acumen, acumen is second to none. Look out, Stephen A., Skip, Pollock, Cowherd, Patrick. He's next. Catch him now so you can say you were there in the beginning. Hello, hello. Oh, hey, man. Hey, how's it going? Oh, good. I was just about to text you and ask if it kicked you out again. Well, it did, and I think maybe it was kicking me out because I was pressing um, join with wired headset, and so I just went in with the default mode, and uh, it got, it's got me in there. Can you hear me well? Yeah, I can hear you perfect, man. Okay, can you good. hear me? Yep, I can hear you perfect. All right, good. Um, so... Let me turn off. Let me turn on. Do not be disturbed first, because I know if I get a phone call or you get a phone call, it'll automatically just end the thing. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So I got to do that now all the time because once I was doing one of these, and my dad called me and it just ended like fifty minutes of recording. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't. E- it doesn't even save or try to like pick you up where you left off or anything. Uh, it saves it for me, but then I got to restart a topic. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, this wasn't actually on our topic list, but it got sent to me through ESPN at like 1 o'clock in the morning last night, mm. or this morning, and it was about uh, the Mavericks, and now everybody in the NBA has stopped playing the national anthem before their games. Ah, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I want to get your thoughts on that. I know personally, I don't have a problem with it just because like most of the guys in the NBA now, especially in the Mavericks are all European. Right. (laughs) And they don't have any connection to the national anthem whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So I don't think they, they minded whatsoever, but I know, you know, certain teams are all, uh, African-American born in America guys, but I know the Mavs are mostly all European white guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the biggest thing is, well, we'll save it for the pod, but the biggest thing is going to be the reaction of the fans. Right. And the country as a whole. So, yeah, definitely. So I just wanted to throw that throw that in there because that got sent to me this morning. I was like, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Hey, I'm ready to discuss whatever you got. Yeah. Okay. so now let's get on to like the real topics that we had. Mm -hmm. Um, My favorite uh, B-list celebrity, Nick Cannon. (laughs) is back on Wild now after his anti-Semitic comments. Um, VH1 said, uh, our ratings are too low and we don't have anything and we need Wild Out back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that seems like what it is. I know VH1 probably hasn't said that directly, but I mean, at the end of the day, that's kind of what it is. And it's actually pretty amazing because it shows the power and the influence of Nick Cannon. It shows the power and the influence of that show Um, But it sets a precedent, right? Because very rarely do we hear about people making racially charged comments, especially against that particular group of people who have a lot of influence um, within media and within Hollywood and various other industries to be able to bounce back from that and and receive, you know, and return to their position. So that's what kind of struck me the most is like, 
who did he talk to? You know what I'm saying? Like who in the secret cabal, right, of, of powerful folks did he have to apologize to? Or is he friends with that said, no, 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 Nick's a good guy. No, we need him back in there, you know? Um, yeah. So that's that's interesting. But of course, money probably was a big motivating factor as well. Yeah, and I know uh, Super Bowl Sunday, we'll talk about that on Sunday's podcast mm-hmm. when you hear. But I know Super Bowl Sunday after the Super Bowl, uh, I was at, over at a friend's house and I switched to VH1 and they had, they had like a whole series of Nick Cannon wilding out to like four o'clock in the morning. Wow. Like to start like, hey, it's going to be back on VH1. So we need you to start getting used to wilding out back on. Well, that's great. I mean, you know, one of the things that I thought was really brilliant, what was dirty and brilliant at the same time was how VH1 then tried to court and approach DC Youngfly to replace Nick as the host of the show. And I was just so, you know, I just was so blown away and just grew in respect for DC's decision to say, nah, man, Nick's my OG. Like, he put me on. He put all of the guys of 85 South kind of on this show and gave us a platform for us to be ourselves and to grow our brand. What would it look like for me to betray him and then, you know, become host of the show? And not only that, like, as a black man, why would I take the shine from another black man and fill his shoes, especially one who's giving me a leg up? That just seemed really dirty of VH1. But I think when DC said that, I think VH1 realized no one else is going to touch this job. Like, we're not going to be able to get anyone to really fill Nick's shoes. So if we want this thing to keep happening, which is probably, I mean, honestly, Wild Out is probably the best content VH1 has. Um, I think yeah. they realize, hey, we, we got to get Nick back and get this show going again. So, yeah, and uh, one thing that uh, that I think happened is like there was real unless you were going to hire a Jewish comedian, I felt like that was going to be the only way somebody else took the gig mm. because of what Nick what Nick said on his anti-Semitic comments. I feel like the only way you could have done anything, you can't just be like. Hey, uh, this is a mostly a black show that black comedians and black rappers come on, and let's have a white guy host it. Right, like the only guy that they probably could have done it who would have filled that the category, because not only did they have to be like Jewish and hip and young, you also have to be able to rap. You'd have to be humorous. You'd have to, you know, you'd have to at least be accepted within hip hop culture, so that you know, in order to maintain any sort of credibility with the show. And so maybe the only person they could have probably did with there is Lil Dicky, right? Lil Dicky probably would have been all right. But even then, yeah. that there's big shoes to fill. There's big shoes to fill when you talk about Nick Cannon and what he's done with that show. And then also you got to get fans to buy in and you got to get all those stars to buy in. Like is Carlos, Chico and DC going to feel cool doing the show with Lil Dicky? Is it going to have the same atmosphere, the same freedom? Cuz if not, then you've lost the chemistry and pretty much you don't lost the show, you know, so. Yeah, definitely. And I, I also don't think it helped VH on the fact Nick was going to sue to get Wild and Out. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know that piece. Yeah, he uh, he said if he didn't have the show back by like in mid the middle of 2021, then he was going to sue it, sue to get get it back from VH1, and he was just going to go on P. Diddy's network. and have On Revolt. It. Yeah, I think you'd actually be better on Revolt anyway, or just like a YouTube show, monthly show, weekly show. I mean, they certainly would have a lot more creative freedom and control over it. 
actually could be a better look and they certainly could be a lot more unfiltered which i think would garner even more appreciation and more fans to the show so you know i don't know what the terms and conditions of the contract are but if i was nick i would still be trying to fight to move that content to another platform uh yeah i uh personally i've always seen it on either mtv Mm -hmm. or vh1 and honestly i don't know what channel uh, Diddy's uh, <laughs> Diddy's channel is yeah yeah. So uh, I I'd have to spend some time trying to find Diddy's channel to actually find Wild right. Out, but I do think it would help Wild Out a little bit more to be on Diddy's channel than VH1, or they could go back to MTV. Yeah, yeah. I mean VH1, MTV, those channels. It's kind of you know I. For me, it's weird, right? I'm in another age bracket, and so MTV and VH1 haven't been what they were in a very, very, very long time. Like, I don't know anybody who watches those channels, but I suppose young people do, and I suppose that, you know, people who are into reality television do, so they still exist, so there's some money anywhere. There's some money somewhere, but I personally, and just looking at the scope and the trajectory of where entertainment and where people are gathering their content from, being on network television, even cable network, to me, it just seems like a waste of time. Like if you're not, you know, if you if you can't create your own channel on YouTube or create your own host site or find some other way, some app, streaming app. I don't know. I just kind of feel like network television is a little bit of a dead end these days. But yeah, definitely. I know uh, about. Uh, I'm a big WWE mm-hmm. guy, so I've like I've seen the ratings like constantly drop and drop and drop and drop. And, you know, everybody that I talk to that's big in wrestling is like, hey, it's okay because the YouTube, uh, the YouTube views are right. I'm like, okay, okay, sure, whatever you say. And, you know, it seems like that doesn't matter, but it still, ma- it still matters a lot. There's a lot of advertising money that's there with YouTube. There's still, and you're still able to get a whole lot of views. You can, I mean, you can even do live streams and people can donate. You can charge people for that. You can create your own host site. I mean, a brand as big as WWE, I don't know why they wouldn't just create their own streaming app anyway. Um, uh, they do. Okay. All right. Yeah. And just do direct to consumer content anyhow. Like, I just kind of feel like that's the future. Yeah. And this is the last thing I'm going to say about Nick. Then we'll get to the capital. <laughs> uh, one, one thing that kind of like gave me hope about Nick coming back was the fact that uh, – have you ever seen The Masked Singer? Uh, I have not. I've seen, like, clips, but I've never watched an episode. Yeah, so I – it was around, like, season two that these – or season two or season three that the comments uh-huh. came out. And then what helped me believe that, hey, Wild Now actually has a chance to come back is that they, The Masked Singer didn't cancel, like, the rest of season three. And then they started season four. And I was like – does nobody have a problem with, like, Nick being on the show? Right. Because, like, I was like, well, okay, the Wild Out's coming back at some point. They gave him his radio show back, too. And I was like, okay, things are getting back to normal. Yeah, you got to respect the brand, man. You got to respect the power of Nick Cannon, even though, you know, I think everybody within hip-hop culture has several jokes about Nick Cannon. And like you said, B-list celebrity, but his money, his influence, the people, the connections that he's, you know, been able to broker – you know, over the past 20 years, I think those things are indelible and are really strong. And it's just proven that he's got relationships with people who trust him and who know who he, who he is and are invested in him. 
And honestly, like, I didn't hear him specifically say anything anti-Semitic. I thought it was just the ordeal of him having, you know, Professor Griff on there um, and just yeah. kind of guilty by association. And that means and that that's easy to kind of apologize for and move on. Yeah. OK, so now let's get to the Capitol riot. Uh, this was this was about mm-hmm. a month ago, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, this was before Joe Biden, obviously, was inaugurated that's as correct. president. Um so we had Donald Trump. He was at the Capitol uh, getting his uh, getting his ragtag rowdy bunch together, <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, uh, he didn't actually say this, but I'm gonna sum it up in a couple words. He said, "This is bullcrap. Uh, I'm still president, and you guys should do something about it because I can't legally do anything." Yes, in a nutshell. Um, but for I think for me watching it, it was just kind of like the follow up to the debate where he told the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by, you know? And so who... Oh, yeah, I do remember And so who did we see here? You know, who did we see there that day for that? You know, he continued to fuel the fire with the election fraud um, lies, which, you know, even here, the Secretary of State, Brad... um, I forget exactly, Ratzenberger or whatever is his last name, the Secretary of State that has to certify the election results here in Georgia. He tried to bully him. You know, he put in that call to him, which that alone should be impeachment worthy because how are you going to bully the Secretary of State and say, I need you to find 11,200 and some odd votes? Well, sir, we've already certified the election. The election has been proven. No, 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 I'm sure you can find them. You need to find them. Just, you know, find them. What do you mean? Like, so yeah. you're basically you're telling me to lie, right? To create some some something that helps you um, when this is clearly a lost cause and the American people have already spoken. And so th- he's been stirring the pot. Ted Cruz has been stirring the pot. Marjorie Taylor Greene has been sport- stirring the pot. You know, Mike Pence was even stirring the pot until after the Capitol riot. And he realized, OK, this thing is, you know, this is way, way out of control. So, you know, it's, it's chickens yeah. coming home to roost and it's a sad reality. Um, And it's so unprecedented, you know, but absolutely, absolutely. His words that day, specifically at that rally before the Capitol riot, absolutely galvanized that mob. hundred percent. Yeah. And one of the things. okay, so like uh, my dad's Mm -hmm. a Republican, you know, uh, my stepdad's Republican. My mom votes. She's not Republican, but she voted Republican the Mm -hmm. last two years. Uh, One of the things that. I hear all the like conspiracy theories, blah blah blah, right. that kind of stuff. And looking at the votes, I, I mean, as like an independent, I was kind of skeptical, especially about Georgia because uh, Barack Obama didn't even win right. Georgia, and I found it like I didn't, I didn't care that Joe Biden was president. He was elected president, but I was like, how, how did Joe Biden win Georgia? But my man Obama didn't win Georgia. <laughs> well, part of that also is just all of the things that was at stake, right? It was the perfect storm. And I think for people who believe in providence and believe in God saw that it was the, last year was the culmination of four or five years of so much injustice and lying and deceit and wickedness and evil that was coming from the White House and from American government that it just culminated with the destruction and the, the self-implosion Right. Of that of that wicked leadership. Um, And I think people began to see that with how he without with how Trump handled the coronavirus, 
how he was responding to Black Lives Matter and the death, the assassination, the murder of George Floyd and many other African-Americans early on last year. There was just a perfect storm of it, the misinformation, the continued lying, the, the fraudulent election result claims and all of this, the debates and how catty all of that was. Both of those men, but especially Donald Trump, people just began to see how thirsty he was for power, how maniacal he and his team were. And all of the lies just came to a head, right? Um, and I think that's what allowed. And Georgia also did a great job due to the leading of voting rights activists and former gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams. Um, and I couldn't be yeah. more prouder to be a Georgian when I, when I saw those election results and saw how Georgia stepped up, not only in the presidential election, but then came back to the polls in the Senate elections. Man, I couldn't be more proud to be from Georgia. Yeah, one thing, that's one of the things that surprised me a lot is because usually um, if you do go on to a runoff election, usually the Democrat right. doesn't win the runoff but it surprised me this year that uh rafael warnock the he's like the only candidate i like endorsed mm -hmm. or supported just because you know i live in georgia most of the time and he's like the only person i really i saw all the commercials but i was like okay yeah he's he's from the yeah of savannah yeah I, I can get right. i can get behind him and you know him and kanye he had he had the support of Georgians to not only have the most per most votes out of all of them in mm -hmm. a normal election, to come back and win when many Republicans thought, well, hey, uh, Doug Collins and uh, Kelly Loeffler had the most votes out of the three combined, so you know Republicans obviously going to win, and then the the people of Georgia said, nah, uh, we're going to vote for Rafael. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and I think you know with. Kelly Loeffler, those those GD America ads that she ran incessantly on television, I think she thought that people were going to associate those that horrible phrase with Raphael Warnock because she had footage of him having said that, what was that, almost 20, you know, 12 years ago when the Jeremiah Wright thing came out. Yeah. But what happened was I think Georgians were smart enough to realize it's not Raphael Warnock who's playing this ad 27 times every hour, right? And, and insulting me or offending my sensibilities about America or God, it's Kelly Loeffler who's running these ads. I mean, it was ridiculous, yeah. Dalton. You probably, like every five seconds, it was, oh, 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 and they just said it was this terrible ad, you know, of just <laughs> blasphemy across our television. We had to deal with that for like three months. Um, and I think most Georgians, you know, even white Georgians who were conservative was like, I'm sick of this. And she hasn't said one thing about what she's going to do, even the year of the interim period that she had in office. She didn't do anything except make more money. Right. You got a private jet that flew you from Georgia there to uh, to the Capitol. I mean, you know, so to the Capitol, to D.C. And you haven't done anything but get rich. Um, and so I thought that was it was yeah. very easy. Um, for people to see through the smoke screen of those lies. I was a little concerned of whether or not David Perdue was going to beat Ossoff, but um, I still had a lot of, of, a lot of uh, confidence that Ossoff would win because going back and forth to Atlanta, my mom being there in Atlanta, she says, 
look, when you get into, you know, the white neighborhoods and suburban areas that are a little bit more progressive in Atlanta, you know, if you're in the East Atlanta area, if you're in Druid Hills, you know, if you're in Buckhead, you're not seeing a whole lot of Purdue and Loeffler ads. You know, if you're going up Ponce de Leon or North Avenue, you know, you're seeing white people out there with Black Lives Matter signs. You're seeing them out there with John Ossoff and Warnock signs. Uh, it just really seemed like the major diverse progressive areas of Georgia was able to stand up and be heard. And we see the results of it. And it was it was just really, really exciting. Sad, sadly, yeah, on definitely. the flip side of that, right, we definitely. see the backlash, which is and we know it was calculated. We know it was planned. We know that these white supremacist terrorist groups that have always existed in the shadows of America, right? They've only kind of changed names and changed a little bit of faces, but they've always been present. They felt further galvanized, but it was strategic. They planned it on January 6th. They planned it because they knew that it lined up with the Georgia election. They planned it because they knew that the, the election of the presidential uh, results were gonna be certified that day. They, they planned it as a, a counterattack, right, to the joy and the success and the victory that America had won. It was the most anti-American thing that I had ever seen. Yeah, and one thing I'd just like to point out on what you were saying is that we're not saying all Republicans are bad people. It's just like the extremists, like. Uh, like the people who live in my na- my neighborhood, normal Republicans, they're not going to go up to exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's just like it's only the extreme people that are going to that extreme to that extreme to, hey, let's go into the Capitol, storm it, take pictures with the people who are like guarding mm-hmm, the place. Mm-hmm, too, by the way, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And one thing also that I'd like to point out about Kelly Loeffler, I mean, she might sue me for this, for like, <laughs> I don't know. But one thing about her that I really thought showed that nobody was talking about is that one thing I think all you need to see about a person is that she owns the right. WNBA sports team. And every one of her players did not give their endorsement to her. They gave right. them to Raphael Warner. Right. And I think that's one thing that you've got to look at if you're going into politics. And, like, at least, um, you know, Donald Trump, he had a team Mm -hmm. in the USFL. Herschel Walker, his biggest player, endorsed him. So it's not like Donald isn't getting endorsement from former friends and players. Kelly Loeffler's own players are like, Exactly. Even the people who know you best, let alone the people who actually work under you, work for you, right, are like, no, she's terrible, or no, we don't have any trust or confidence in her. And I think it says a lot when she's a woman running for a powerful position, and you have an entire team of women who often are, you know, underappreciated as female athletes, and all of them are saying, yeah, we know you're running against a man, but we'd rather support the man in this case than support you. That says a lot, right? That, 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 that in yeah. and of itself speaks volumes. Speaking of the WNBA and her team, she no longer has the team, right? Like two chains and other people are, are up for the team. I think Jermaine Dupree, who is it? Somebody else's people are bidding on that team right now, I think. Oh, I didn't even know that. I've, I've been keeping up. I know I watched uh, the WNBA finals because I'm a big <laughs> uh, Breonna Stewart fan. You know, go UConn. <laughs> But uh, I watched the WNBA finals, but I don't watch like the regular season of the WNBA. I stick with the uh, college women's basketball. It is. It is. There's a little bit more on the line. Yeah. 
but I didn't even know that she had lost the team and two chains is about to bite. Well, you know, he's a part owner of the Hawks. So um, I wouldn't find yeah. that to be out of the realm of possibility. You know, him and Jermaine and T.I. and, you know, Jeezy, they could all get together easily yeah. and, and buy it. Um, and I love it. It's one of the reasons I love basketball. I love the NBA. It's just, and we talked about this before, but there's just so much more freedom, appreciation, and just like acceptance and inclusion placed on people being different and people being able to express their cultural differences and that that's what makes the sport relevant. It's like hip hop music is a part of it. And we're going to play that here. And we know like shoe sneakers culture is a part of it. And there's going to be wild different, you know, zany colors on these guys' shoes and hairstyles and beards and braids and dreads and, you know, tattoos. Some of it, of course, gets a little out of hand and ridiculous, yeah. but there's an acceptance there that these young guys have, you know, trained and dedicated their entire lives to be here. On, and they're playing, they're playing a sport. Let's be honest. They're, they're playing a game and putting a ball through the hoop. So for us to try to hold them to yeah. these certain expectations that they have to assimilate into like, you know, America's greatest pastime of apple pie and baseball and they've got to look clean cut. These guys are not Tom Brady. You know, they're not your corn fed, you know, Clark Kent white boy. That's, you know, the America's poster yeah. child or whatever. These are everyday black men who are inspiring everyday black boys and girls to be able to come up in the sport. And they want to see a black man that looks like them, that listens to the music that they do, that they do, that stands up for the things that matter to them in their community. And I just am so appreciative of what David Stern and what Adam Silver have done with the NBA to allow it to be a safe space for that. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you were talking about uh, Adam Silver. Do you personally like Adam Silver? I mean, I find what he's doing for the NBA to be cool and right. But I, for some reason, I just can't get Adam Silver. Like, even with all the good he's done. Well, I so I don't know a whole lot about the man personally. I can only look at the effect of what he's doing in, in the NBA. And as a commissioner, he does his job well. I think, you know, and this is totally to be yeah. facetious, right? We're here for the funnies a little bit. I mean, I think looking at Adam Silver is a little, you get a little creeped out, right? Because he kind of looks like Mr. Burns a little bit. Or like some sort of like, you know, like <laughs> reptilian alien creature that's, you know, kind of wearing skin to mask yeah. and look like he's human. So there's some things about him that may throw you off. But I haven't heard anything about him as a person that would make me dislike him. So. Yeah, maybe it's just because like my basically my childhood, I grew up with David Stern, right. a big David Stern fan. You know he's got to he's got to rig the rig the lottery <laughs> for the Knicks, and you know he had to deal with the the whole uh, NBA players on cocaine all the time, and he had to save the he had, he had, yeah. he had to save basketball. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm all into David Stern. And I think I I always think he'll be the greatest commissioner ever. And I mean, and that's he was commissioner mind. during the golden age of basketball, right? So. You know, yeah. there's always going to be that special place because of most of our memories, all of, you know, two or three generations of Americans' memories of basketball include him at the helm leading it. So, yeah. And, but this is the last thing I'm going to say about David Stern. Mm -hmm. Move on to Joe Biden. <laughs> uh, this sucks for him that the last number, number one overall draft pick he announced <laughs> was Anthony Bennett. <laughs> What a way yeah, to end up well, your career! You can't hit them. You can't hit them all. You can't win them all. Okay, so <laughs> you can't. 
Uh, Joe Biden was inaugurated president um, not too long after uh, the Capitol riot. And there was a bunch of security there, uh, obviously for Grandpa Joe's <laughs> protection, as I call him. <laughs> um, and uh, so just your opinion, how long do you think Joe Biden is actually going to be president? I mean, the man's pushing 80 over here. Why do people um, feel like he's any older I- than any of these other guys who's been president? Like, remember... Him and Donald Trump are pretty much the same age, right? Well, yeah, yeah. I, I thought if Donald Trump won this year, he was still gonna be old too. You know, Al Gore is younger than both <laughs> Donald Trump and Joe Biden for president. Well, not for nothing though. I mean, Bill Clinton at that time was still one of the youngest presidents we had in history, right? So, um, and I think people yeah. forget that how young both him and Gore were during that time. So those men are still, you know, relatively young. What Al Gore is like what? In it like 68 or something, maybe 70? Okay. Uh, um, so yeah, I mean, that's still kind of you're up there, right? When you're <laughs> when you've crossed that hill. Um yeah. but I don't know. I mean I think Joe seems a little spry spry. I think he seems like he's fully aware. I think he's making really fluid and coherent decisions right now where he also was smart enough to say two things. One, let me get rid of every vestige of Trump. Like anybody that was working for him, all of the cabinet, I don't care if you was in any of these departments or whatever, just cleaning everything. And I hope he also fumigated and, you know, COVID sprayed down the White House too, because I would burn the mattress and I'd be getting rid of everything he touched. But just get that spirit up out of there. But I think that's a, that to me shows a lot of awareness of what the optics of that looks like, you know, of getting rid of the old regime and replacing it with new people, especially a lot of women, a lot of people of color. Right. Um, even people who are, who, you know, who are immigrants, second, third generation Americans. Um, I think that's huge. Yeah. And I think he's putting he's establishing a team of people who aren't just yes men or yes women but are people who are really intellectual, who are really smart, and will challenge him and hold him accountable. Um, and that looks good. I, I would hope that, yeah. you know, Joe Biden's age would at least allow him to serve his first full term. Um, the, other, the other thing, yeah. though, is that if unfortunately, and God forbid, he was to pass while in office, we have a very young and spry Kamala Harris, um, who would then become the first woman as yeah. well as the first woman of color African-American and Asian-American woman to become president. And that in and of itself is another milestone. So yeah. we don't want to see Joe die in order for that to happen. But if it does happen, we don't have a bad number two option. You know? Personally, I, I don't think Joe will die in office. I think he'll be more likely to resign just because of the fact he's getting up there in age and during not necessarily the Donald mm-hmm. Trump versus Joe Biden run, but his uh, winning the Democratic nominee, there were some times that Joe would look like he didn't want to be there. Like, because early he was losing these uh, caucuses, like Bernie Sanders, and yeah, you could tell you, yeah. like, man, why yeah. am I here? <laughs> uh, I, I think being you know the age that he is, he's been in politics for so long. I think at around year two and two, two and a half to three. I think he might resign just from being burnt out. You know, that's quite possible. I mean, in all honesty, I think a lot of the frustration that Joe was experiencing, and there's a couple of things to know about him personally. I mean, he's he struggled his whole life with stuttering. 
Um, and so that when he gets yeah. flustered and he also has struggled with controlling his temper. And so the combination of a person who gets really flustered and excited or exasperated is you're going to begin to lose your train of thought and stutter. And then if you already struggle with like gaffing or putting your foot in your mouth when you get too excited, Joe is bound to kind of have those issues. And I think he saw a lot of that in the caucuses. I also think he was just really tired and frustrated with the caucuses because he knew in his heart of hearts, I should have already ran through you guys from the last election. Like Hillary should have never been the candidate because had I been the candidate, I would have mopped the floor yeah. with that guy like I did it this time. And I told y'all I was going to do it. And so I felt like Joe just was kind of just slightly cheesed about that. He was just kind of like, look, all of y'all looking like some substitute teachers, pretty much. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you, ain't, you don't deserve to be here. <laughs> I don't think that any of y'all really have a chance to, to beat me in any of these polls. So I'm just trying to go through the motions. And not for nothing, weren't we all disappointed with the Democratic caucuses and the primaries? Like, it was horrible watching 20 people up there. It was horrible. I remember, I'm, I'm almost mad that you reminded me of how bad the Democratic Party looked during those primaries. It was horrible. Uh, what, man? Yeah, oh my gosh, Booker, and Cory Booker was one of the biggest disappointments, yeah. man. I mean, you know, six years ago, I had so much hope for him being able to be another Obama. And I still think, you know, I don't think that he's a bad guy or that he's lost any of his principles. I just think he underperformed and underwhelmed people in the presidential race. So, Yeah. One thing that I found interesting, though, when they were doing uh, mm -hmm. when it was Joe Biden versus Donald Trump and they were doing all the debates is that it, like Donald Trump would make Joe Biden mad on purpose. And then Joe Biden would say some crap just just to get on right. Donald Trump's nerves and the people's nerves would be like, well, you know, I did all the work when Obama was president. And like uh, Obama did a lot of work. I don't think Joe Biden did all the work. But he just said yeah, yeah. Out. I mean, I think Joe Biden has to also be able to run on the successes of, of Obama. Right. And certainly even in appealing with African-American yeah. uh, constituents, you know, it's like we know you, Joe, because of O. You know what I'm saying? You ride in on his curtail, on his coattails. You cool because of him, because honestly, yeah. as a vice president, I can't really think of a whole lot of things that Joe did as a vice president that would make me say, okay, you on your own have cred. Like we know about your Senate career, right, which is incredibly illustrious and very, very long. But we also know that Joe Biden has made some mistakes as a senator as well. So looking at him as a senator probably wasn't yeah. the best light to really see him. But we also know that throughout tragedy and overcoming obstacles in Joe Biden's life, as well as having to be the number two guy to the country's first black president, has probably humbled Joe, Bud Joe Biden, Joe Biden, Joe Biden quite a lot. No, Joe Biden is not humble at all. But Joe Biden, I think, has been humbled through these series of events. When you lose your son, you know what I'm saying? And you know, you, you also are number two when you don't get picked to be the president, when you were just the vice president to be the presidential candidate and you were just, you know, I think he's been humbled through some of these experiences. And I think even the Democratic primary yeah. with Kamala Harris bringing up, you know, the, the mistakes that he had made, you know, with affirmative action and busing and things like that over the years, I think it humbled him and it made him have to look at himself. Now, is Joe Biden still prone to gaffing? And getting frustrated? Absolutely. We saw that in the Charlemagne interview. How dare you tell black people if they black enough or black or not because they vote for you? That's that's absurd and obnoxious, you know? So he yeah. is prone to those sort of, yeah. of mistakes. Um, but so far, 
I like how he's, you know, he's doing everything he can to try to pass the stimulus bill or the COVID relief bill bipartisan wise. Um, you know, they've got enough votes to block any sort of filibuster there, especially in the Senate with Kamala being able to break the tie. Um, you know, I, I want him to stick to his guns and push this thing through in the first night, the first 90 days. Otherwise, we'll see his first failure. If he doesn't get this COVID relief bill, it will be his first failure. And I love that he also one of his first acts was to reverse executive actions and executive orders was to reverse some of the immigration um, craziness and injustice that Trump had put in there. Let's restore DACA. Right. And get these dreamers and their families and get folks reconnected again across the board. Like these things, I think, are really important to healing some of those deep, deep injustices and wounds that were caused by the Trump regime. Yeah. And. One thing I want to add on that before we move on to talking about Black History Month. Um, oh, I lost a uh, train of thought. Um, let me see if I can remember it real quick before we move on. <laughs> oh, okay. So, talking about uh, because uh, some Republican brought this up to me about uh, so we were talking about like the Joe Biden uh-huh. uh, his son's laptop or whatever because you know that that was a big deal mm-hmm. a couple months ago before mm-hmm. the election that was, that was a big deal um so what were your thoughts well tell me all of the details about it because i don't think i know about this this backpack gate so please tell me what what that is okay so so apparently uh there was a laptop and it had mm-hmm. uh, bo biden mm-hmm. i do believe that's his name it had him and like he was giving money to China and China was giving money to him and uh, somehow Joe Biden was related when he was vice president and this came Got out uh, a couple months ago but every Republican wanted the um, the people to be like hey those are crimes well a little fun fact I do believe is o- Obama's right day. you know how presidents pardon people right. I do believe uh, Barack Obama pardoned every Democrat for like, you know, he, he was doing it because, you know, like, hey, so-and-so's got like a ticket. You know, right, right, you right. Know, pardon, you know, whatever. He, he ain't got the ticket anymore. And so I believe uh, he pardoned Joe Biden of like some small little thing, uh, uh, maybe, or Bo Biden, like, you know, hey, I accidentally walked out of the store with so-and-so and blah, blah. And it ended up being since he pardoned him for some stupid thing and he pardoned him for everything that he ever done, it'd be like, hey, the laptop. Well, that was under when my dad was vice right. president. So right. Right. Well, you know, with that sort of stuff, it gets really dicey. Right. Like, I don't want to just be like, well, you know, everybody's dirty up there in Washington. You know, family members, everybody like even Nancy Pelosi, I think, just recently ended up buying stocks and was some sort of COVID relief thing or something. Um, You know, there's so much inside information that comes. Um, So but so I but I but I feel strong enough about justice that I don't think it's excusable for anyone. And I don't care what political party you say. I'm not here beholden to any political party. I stand up for justice. You know, me being anti-Trump didn't have anything to do with him Republican. It had to do everything with the content of his character and how he ran the country, you know. Um, And so, yeah, if these things are facts and if they can be proven, then we know that there's some shady stuff there. And that stuff needs to be full, full. You know, uh, it needs to face the full extent of the law. 
Um, and it's the same thing with the impeachment process. I mean, I know that there's yeah. concerns and things there about the precedent that it sets for an out, you know, for, you know, the opposing party of an outgoing president to just be like, oh, well, we didn't like the way you did things. And so out of spite, we're going to impeach you after the fact. You know, there is that concern. But I also think, well, let's we're in yeah. unprecedented territory here. The way Donald Trump ran the country. Right. And as crooked as he was and the injustices that he did and even stirring up the Capitol riot, these things are unprecedented and unheard of when it comes to a president's involvement in criminal activity. So we've got to do something new and unprecedented to resolve that and, you know, and, and, and deal with that. And then we'll cross that yeah. other bridge later on as we come to it, because I think the Supreme Court and I think the Senate, I think the people of this nation are smart enough to be able to handle things on a case by case basis. You know, as parents, folks know, hey, how I raise and how yeah. I discipline this child cannot necessarily be the same for this child. I'm fair in that I want them both to have just consequences for their actions. But at the same time, justice doesn't mean sameness. Right. It just means everybody gets what they need, regardless of yeah. where or what they started with. Um, and that may mean that, you know, someone who needs yeah. a little bit more in order to even be equal or to have a to share the playing field, then you give that person more. And one who's already had advantages, then they don't need as much. Right. Um, and so I say all that to yeah. say that even with the Bo Biden thing, you know, if there's injustices there and it can be proven, then, hey, we need to, you know, try him to the fullest extent of the law. If it goes all the way up and connects to Joe Biden. I hope that Joe Biden will have the guts to go ahead and be honest with it and, and face it full on, you know, for sure. Yeah. Um, honestly, my opinion on it is half the stuff that you say that half the stuff that people say goes on Washington. Really <laughs> yeah. Honestly, probably couldn't prove anyway. So, uh, eh, yeah, you have it. It is what it is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, Black, yeah. so Black History Month is obviously here. Um, so who, when you were a child growing up, who did you look up to the most that was a prominent, uh, black man, black woman that did a lot? So this is going to be very Atlanta, right? But as a young kid, my father was involved in ministry and the civil rights movement in Atlanta, Georgia. And so people in Atlanta are probably familiar with Pascal's Restaurant. Pascal's Restaurant was located on University Avenue, Martin Luther King, down there near the AU Center. And this restaurant had been around since the 60s. And it was a place where black preachers and black men and ministers would gather for breakfast and brunch and lunch, um, especially on Sunday mornings after church. It was where they could kind of be free to be themselves and congregate and just kind of like shoot the breeze about, about ministry, about the movement, about just life. I mean, this, so Pascal's was this place that was frequented by Dr. Yeah. King, by Abernathy, by Andrew Young. I remember being about nine or 10 years old and I'm sitting in Pascal's in the kind of the upstairs dining room, kind of the special dining room um, for guests. And it's me, my father, Hosea Williams, um, who was kind of King, one of King's like generals on the front line, right? When King really needed somebody to do something in Atlanta, to yeah. say something crazy to white folks, he sent Hosea, right? Hosea was like the bulldog, right? Um, so it's me, my dad, Hosea yeah. Williams, Andrew Young, right? Former mayor and UN ambassador. Uh, Maynard Jackson is there. Uh, mm -hmm. Louise Hornsby, who was a judge, a, a, a district judge at that time, was there. I'm just sitting in this room with all these amazing men. I think Joseph Lowry was in there. 
I don't remember exactly why my dad is in that room or why I'm in this room, but I'm in this room. And that has a huge impact on me and even feeding the homeless consistently with Hosea Williams. So Hosea Williams was one of the first black men that I got to shake his hand and, and learn from and to hear his example. Now, by no means is Hosea, was Hosea Williams a perfect person. But what he stood for in terms of justice in Atlanta, yeah. speaking truth to power at every turn, um, being a doc having a doctorate degree, the man was a chemist, having walked in March with King, you know, and then, like I said, going there to feed the homeless every Thanksgiving was was huge. And that was kind of the first person that really had an impact on me. And it was through Hosea that I began to learn more about King and just learn more about Atlanta history. My dad was also really really pivotal in all of that, you know, bringing me around that and educating me as well. So he was probably one of the first people that I, first black men that really, really inspired and sparked an, an, a knowledge of, of black history. But there's so many, right? There's so many. Yeah. Uh, for me, I mean, obviously you have mm -hmm. uh, some legends, uh, Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X. But like, ultimately, I don't, and I right. was never alive when any of them were alive, and I can't tell you uh, I ever had an encounter with them. They never yeah, read yeah, about them. Yeah. It's cool, but nothing. Uh, and so much has changed. Like, uh, you could go sit down at a restaurant now. Like, I, I can't be like, hey, uh, my buddy, Mr. Scott, I don't think it's right. fair that, you know, he didn't get a bar seat <laughs> or something like that. Uh, so I think one of the few, one of the people that mm. has been that I've actually met and has done a lot. Oh, sucks! You, That's sweet. I thank you. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I most of my most of my family on my mom's side is black, mm -hmm. but I only see them like once every few years on, for <laughs> family reunions. <laughs> And uh, my my mm -hmm. opa, who's African American, lives in Germany. So I don't really see a whole lot of people who you know do a lot for the community. And then when I do see them, it's like only once a year, or something like that. So meeting you was kind of the change in that um, for me, I would say, because I met somebody yeah. who cared about the community, cared about kids that ne that weren't that didn't know anything about uh, being uh, black, except a couple kids at Augusta Christian. Um, you know, they don't understand anything about uh, why Donald about Donald Trump being a bad person. Right, they right. think is Donald Trump's the greatest man to ever walk the earth. <laughs> so I think it, I thought it was really cool to see somebody like you and you. I can actually relate to some stuff that you say that. Wow. Well, thanks, girl. That means a lot, man. Just... That really does touch me and warm my heart. I appreciate that, man. And I think the the impact that I've tried to have. You know, yeah. thinking about ministry and movement and how those two things work together and flow together has come from the influence of people like Hosea Williams, like Dr. King, like David Rap David Abernathy, like my father, you know, and just being exposed to that. I remember also being 11. Yeah. It's like 1992. So Nelson Mandela had just got released from Robbins Island, was doing like a world tour. Um, I don't think he had received the Nobel Peace Prize yet, and I don't even think he had been inaugurated as president of South Africa yet. But I heard him speak at the Omni Theater or the Omni Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia. This is like in 1991 or 92 or something like this. Blew me away. Obviously, I can't remember everything, but I remember that moment, right? I remember being there. I remember the look of admiration yeah. and honor and 
the tears in my father's eyes. I hadn't seen those tears in my father's eyes until fast forward to 2008 when he and I went to Washington, D.C. to see Obama inaugurated as president the first time. Um, and so just being able to go around for and my father is, you know, 77 years old. And so just seeing history come full circle and the influences of these amazing men that, you know, I've just been blessed to be a part. Man, these guys have galvanized me to stand up for justice, to not be scared. John Lewis, I've had a chance to meet John Lewis on a couple of occasions. It's just, yeah, I just, you know, I've been blessed to be around some really strong, influential black men. And I, I'm happy to pass that forward. Yeah. 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 Well, so to end up on Black History Month now. Oh, but before we leave Black History Month, I want to share this real quickly. <laughs> Again, it's another Georgia connection. So Stacey Abrams, voting rights activist, right, former gubernatorial candidate for the state of Georgia, has just recently been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah, incredible. So um, we don't know if she'll win, right? There are other people who are nominated. Alexei Talvany, who is a political prisoner now in, uh, in Russia for speaking out against the Putin regime. He's also a nominee. There are other people who are nominees. Just because you're nominated doesn't mean you'll win. Um, but that's huge. Especially for that. I mean, that's the biggest humanitarian cool award there is in the planet. Like, you know, so when you're in that circle, you're in a very elite yeah. circle of human beings. Um, so that's a huge, huge look for her. It's a huge yeah. look for black history. It's a huge look, especially for women, right? And black women. So I just wanted to put that out there because maybe not all of your fans knew that. Yeah, I guarantee you half of them didn't know. <laughs> uh, so that's cool that Stacey Abrams is nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize and she might win. I, it, in my opinion, it'll probably come down between her yeah. and uh, the yeah, guy yeah, yeah. who uh, spoke out against Putin. Right, right. And, and then, you know, who knows how long he will be alive. So, sad to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, let's move on to Eminem. Okay, did you listen to his... his I did not, but I did listen to the, uh, the original version of uh, Music to be Murdered by... Uh, there are a few songs. I mean, it's Eminem, right? Like, we can't take anywhere, anything away from Eminem's talent. He is clearly one of the most talented rappers ever, you know, of any race, any gender. I mean, he, he's incredibly talented, and he still has that talent. Like, a gift like that doesn't just disappear. But the problem is, is I just don't know yeah. if the people who grew up on Eminem, like, I was a huge Eminem fan you know, 99, 2000, when he first came out. And really, when he first came out, when I first heard Slim Shady, I wasn't, I, I just, I, I was like, this is a gimmick. Like, this has got to be a gimmick. This is corny. Who is this guy? This ain't real rap. And then as, you know, as it kind of grew, and I heard more of the, you know, yeah. the Slim Shady LP, and then finally the Marshall Mathers LP, when that came out, I was like, okay, I'm sold, right? But talking about, you know, killing your baby mother yeah. or raping your mom or, you know, brutally murdering people. I know he likes to do horrorcore stuff and he's not the only rapper who's done horrorcore lyrics. But in 2021, it was cool when I was this teenager filled with angst and anger and, and drugs, right? When I'm 17, 18 years old, it's different trying to yeah. do that same music to me now who's almost 40 years old. And that I think is a disconnect for Eminem. Yeah. Yeah, I personally... Uh... Eminem hasn't really related to me whatsoever. 
I used to like Eminem, uh, and it wasn't even like all Eminem stuff. It was mostly like Lose Yourself and, you know, uh, Framed, just because it wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. all about this the stuff that you talked about. But, like, the classic Eminem stuff, I can't relate to. I will never be able to relate to it that much, if so, whatever. Um <laughs> Yeah, that's just my opinion on Eminem. I know a lot of people disagree with me. I, I honestly have to listen. You know to what? And some and some people will. On. I just feel like Eminem's music. <laughs> a lot of it is not gonna age well. It's not gonna stand the test of time. Some of it will. You know, some of it will. Some of those bigger hits. You know, stuff that was pushed on radio, both especially then, but even now. You know, those things will stand the test of time. I don't think "Lose Yourself" is gonna go anywhere. I don't think you know the real Slim Shady is gonna go anywhere. I don't think Superman is gonna go anywhere. Right. Um, but when people really think of the yeah. legacy of Eminem, are people just going to really still even put him in their top five? Because they're like, yeah, he's incredibly talented, but the music doesn't age well. The music has to stand the test of time. It can't, there's a lot of dope MCs out there, you know, but that music doesn't age well. Then even yeah. if you like in Royster five, nine, who's a friend of Eminem said this, you know, if the music doesn't age well, even if you own the, your masters, it's like you own 100% of nothing. So you, you know, put the effort and the energy yeah. into the art and put true content out there, not just gimmicks, not just stuff for the moment, right? Put stuff that's going to really stand the test of time. Um, and I just haven't seen Eminem mature, right? We've seen all other rappers over the age of 40 mature in their content change. Take a look at Killer Mike. Right. Killer Mike has probably been more successful being older than 40 than he was when he was younger than 40. Look at Black Thought. Again, another rapper over 40. Look at Jay-Z. Yeah. Right. Look at Nas, who, you know, him and Freddie Gibbs probably had the best two albums last year, rap albums. So it isn't that rappers can't age well, but you have to mature and change the content and be aware of the times. And I just feel like Eminem, there was like a decade period where he just went away and I felt like he was incredibly out of touch. And so when he comes back into the scene, I just think he's still trying to use gimmicks and styles and a persona that is 22 years old. And just music and rap culture has completely passed him by. And I think he's having trouble accepting that. Yeah. Okay, so you brought up Nas. So what do you think about Nas? A lot of people don't like... uh... They said Nas uses like the crappiest <laughs> beats ever besides Ether. <laughs> what are your opinions on that? Personally, uh, I don't mind the Nas beats. I thought the Hate Me Now thing was cool. Uh, the Ether right. thing with Lauren Hill, I thought that Man. was cool. Man. <laughs> Even hip hop uh, purists, you know, have you know, all agree. We all agree that hip that Nas has made some questionable decisions when it comes to production. But his first three albums, Illmatic, It Was Written, yeah. and I Am, all have great beats on there. You know, um, and he was even doing features at that time, yeah. working with other artists, and he was ripping Alchemist beats. He was ripping RZA beats. I mean, he was killing stuff back in it. Dilla beats, Dre beats. Um, so. I get it. Maybe later on in his career, his beat selection changed. But you got to also understand that Nas is an OG rapper and he's also an OG musician. His dad is a jazz and blues musician. So he's always grown up with an ear to want to experiment and be creative. It hasn't always been I'm going to ride these waves, you know. Um, And so when you're an artist who's prone to experimentation and have a desire to do something different from everybody else, you're going to miss that. You're going to miss it. Um, And that's a part of it. But I think what no one can say about Nas is, oh, you're a crappy rapper 
or, oh, your lyrics don't age well. I mean, Illmatic is still considered to be, yeah. in my opinion, the greatest or at least one of the greatest rap albums ever made. I mean, and, and that's without dispute. Yeah. That will never change for the history of the world. That will never change. So the Nas hate, I think, is stupid. Yeah. And then when you listen to this album, the, the King's Disease with him and Hit Boy, you can't say the beats are terrible because just go listen to 27 Summers. The beat's amazing. You know, that beat's so hard that you actually wish that song was yeah. two minutes longer. You know, um, so I don't know. The Nas hate yeah. is overblown, man. But I get it. This young generation loves to hate on, the, on, on anybody that's got real talent. Y'all will listen to, you know, Playboy Cardi, um, and, you know, and rep that stuff. But God <laughs> forbid you actually listen to like Nas or Black Thought or anybody who can form sentences. You know, yeah, that that's very true. <laughs> right, right, right. And then, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, even when uh, Eminem decided he wanted to roast Snoop Dogg, it was man, Snoop Dogg talking about man, man. Yeah. exactly. What are you, what are you talking, talking about? about? <laughs> uh, so uh, we'll stick into the rap uh stuff. Uh, I mm-hmm. was never a big fan of Joe Budden, honestly. Just because he was a big, he was uh, he was on the Eminem label until he decided yeah, he wanted yeah. to give up the rap and start the podcast. <laughs> um, but you know, I listened to Joe Budden's podcast. I was like, you know what? I'll take I'll take a crack at his music because I was going to do something with Eminem on mm-hmm. the podcast. It didn't really end up happening, but I had to listen to Joe Budden, and I listened to Joe Budden's most recent stuff that came out four years ago. So I wouldn't say right. he's a uh, rapper that keeps up with it. But I would say Joe Budden is one of the mm. last real rappers that we have. And the fact that he, the songs that he makes, most of the stuff I can relate to it. And I feel like it's real. He's talking from the heart and it's real. Then let's just say Eminem who said <laughs> these bars are like COVID. You get them right. Off the are, you on the Joe, are you on the Joe Budden payroll? Are you a part of the JVP network now, Galt? I didn't know that. Is that you, Joey? I didn't know that you were. You were getting paid. Uh, no, nah, I mean, seriously, I never listened to Joe Budden's music. You know, um, that period, especially of East Coast rap in the early 2000s, you know, I totally missed that wave. I had other things going on in life, but even musically, my ears were in tune with just different music at that time. Certainly nothing really from the New York scene at that time really appeals to me. From Dipset, all this, I just missed 50 Cent and G-Unit, don't get me started. I just totally missed that whole wave. Um <laughs> so, you know, Joe Budden, I miss, I miss that too. Um, but the songs that I have heard, I'm like, oh, Joe can, Joe can rap. There's no, there's no doubt about it. You know, Joe is, is nice. Um, but yeah. my appreciation for him is certainly more now as a podcaster, right? And him, uh, his attempt to become a media mogul than it ever was for him as an MC. Like him retiring from yeah. rap was probably the best move he could have ever made for his career. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, well, he didn't really retire because you know he said you know I'm, I'm, I'm gonna make a whole nother album. Yeah, and Drake kind of also set him down real quickly because when you end up putting out like 52 bars, right, and no one says anything, not even the person you you know direct them to, you know it's kind of time to hang up the gloves, buddy. It's, it's time to. Sit. And then he got eaten by like was it Loaded Lux or Daylight or somebody in a battle. He ended up doing a battle or something like that for Slam TV, and he just got his lunch money took. So. But did anybody watch I mean, it? there's enough YouTube clips for us to still it. laugh about and remember it. So, 
So. Oh, well, that, well, well, that's true. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, okay. I, there you I go. I'm on the Joe Budden payroll, just FYI. So, so, <laughs> it's so, obligatory. Yeah, I, I had to give Joe Budden. No wonder there's the Eminem hate. So you're a Nick Cannon fan, and yeah, you're on the I, Joe Budden payroll. That's why you can't stand Eminem. I get it now. It makes sense. Ah, aha! I get it now. Well, uh, well, I mean that is true, but I mean, uh, I, e- even before I was on the button <laughs> yeah, payroll, I couldn't I get an M and M. See, the stars aligned for you. That's it. Easier now. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the last things we'll talk about. Um, well, I want to mm. add something before we get to courtside Karen real quick. Um, basket, uh, basketball as a whole. Um, I guess all sports ratings, quote unquote, ratings have been down. But I'm sure if you look at, you know, how many people watch the highlights of the games, I'm sure ratings wouldn't be down. (laughs) Um, So what sport do you think can last the longest? Because ultimately we've seen like the NBA is turning into uh, players run the league now. And the NFL is slowly kind of changing into that. If, uh, we really look at right. what Sean Watson's trying to do in Houston. Mm-hmm. He's trying to do the same thing James Harden just did. Um, ultimately, I don't think it's going to work for Deshaun Watson. But what league? I think baseball's on the verge of going extinct pretty soon. Um, I think right. hockey's and, and Russia post just because of Canada. But what's yeah and Russia? So what sport do you think is going to last the longest in like? Soccer. People will continue <laughs> to watch it. Like, um, soccer is the untouchable. But right under, and I was just having a conversation with one of my neighbors about this. I mean, right under soccer, I think it's basketball. Because basketball is a court that's, you know, is a, excuse me, is a sport yeah. that's universal. It doesn't require a whole lot of money to play, right? So kids of every income level can do that. You may not have a huge field of grass somewhere in your apartment complex, but maybe there's some concrete and you can throw up a milk crate or whatever somewhere attached to a building and you can shoot hoops and get a basketball anywhere, play it against sports. That ain't nothing. You can steal it from the gym at your yeah. school. <laughs> you know, basketballs come pretty easy. Um, so, but that means something, right? In terms yeah. of being, in terms of accessibility to the sport and people being able to relate to it and continuing to have generations of kids who are coming up the ranks in it. So I think basketball will continue to be that sport. And even internationally, people love basketball. I mean, Spain's got an amazing team. China's got some stuff that's kind of over there. Interesting. Again, it's China. We get it. It's Spain. I get it. Compared to America, it's, it's almost not worth mentioning. But when you look at FIBA, right, and you watch those games over the summer and you just look at the impact, international basketball is huge. Um, even while I was in Mexico, like, Mexican yeah. men really, really enjoy basketball. They're not really great at it, but they enjoy it, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah, man, I think basketball yeah. and basketball also is a sport where women can play, and that means a lot. And in terms of on, you know, stateside, yeah. we just talked about what Adam Silver and what David Stern have done for the sport in terms of allowing players to express themselves and be free to be creative, both athletically and in their own personal lives uh, and stances. I just think there's so much more energy in life there than what there is, yeah, for other sports. Baseball, you're right. I think baseball yeah, baseball is probably going to be dead in another 20 years. Yeah, and uh, my big problem with sports is, well, I didn't have a problem with it as a little kid, but now as I've grown older, 
I'm like, I kind of have a problem with it is the fact that I I love the fact these people can play a sport and get paid for it, and that's how they just live their life. But like, why why is Chris Paul making? I have no idea. Dollars to play point guard for the Phoenix Suns. Like, uh, and then you see what the WNBA players mm-hmm. make. Now, granted, the people don't watch WNBA that much, right? Unless you're me and you want to watch WNBA finals, but. I don't know. I don't completely agree with the whole fact that LeBron can make $45 million off of playing basketball and uh, my mom, a teacher, can't mm-hmm, even make mm-hmm. a, a whole lot of money, so to say. And, like, teachers have done more for me. Well, now, you, now you're really pulling basketball. at the thread of something that's a lot deeper, right, within the psyche of America, but also just human beings. And that's the things that we place value and emphasis on. Right. And it's not just basketball, but it's entertainment in general. Right. We're, we're so obsessed with celebrities. We put them on yeah. pedestals. We worship them. Anything that comes across these screens, whether it be the screens in our pockets or the screens in our homes. We just we love that stuff. It's, the, it's literally the altar where we worship, especially in America. Um, we devote everything to that. We stop dropping yeah. everything, even the Super Bowl. People didn't care about COVID. Oh, everyone's telling you, don't have COVID. Don't, don't have these Super Bowl parties. You know, COVID, COVID. I don't care about that. It's the Super Bowl. And it's like, really? There will be more Super Bowls. There, there will be more Super Bowls, but we just can't. We're just addicted to got to know, got to yeah. be in the know, got to see, got to meme, got to tweet instantly, got to TikTok this. You know, and that, I think, just shows uh, yeah. a sad reality that, most people aren't thinking about our children. Most people aren't thinking about knowledge, you know, and learning and bettering themselves. Most people aren't thinking about the state of their souls or their consciences. Um, but they don't mind, you know, turning on social media yeah. and watching, you know, a woman's endowment shake in front of them. They don't mind watching men dribble a ball up and down a court. That's where they place their priorities. So, yeah. My, and my thing is, I don't know, I doubt many people will agree with this, but I, how athletes should get paid, in my personal opinion, on is, let's mm-hmm. just say, mm-hmm. you got 15 players on the team in basketball. I feel like, hey, uh, let's, for the home games, I think every every team should have the same amount of home games. And the money you make from your home games, if you make the playoffs, you get a little extra bonus. But... The money you make from the playoffs, you or the season, you split it, and that's how much money everybody gets. Like comedians, I, I think they should get paid. You know, like I'm cool with comedians making as much money because you're taking me out of reality right. and I'm paying to go see you, and that's how they're making money, anyways. So I think comedians, you know, like if you're a really good comedian, exactly, and it's a lot more direct to consumer agency. sort of content, content, right? Like if you go see a stand up special, like, and you pay, like you said, Usually stand-up specials are more than $20. But let's just say you pay $20 to go see Chappelle. That $20, at least 15 of those dollars is going straight to Chappelle. And you can't get mad because he's able to fill up the Fox Theater and there's 2,500 people that were willing to pay 20 bucks, right? Um, so it's hard to take money away from a person yeah. like that. Um, but when we're talking about endorsements and you know, jersey sales and just all of the stuff that just goes into creating a machine, an industry um, that is about just kind of profiting off of sports. It gets really it gets really disgusting when you compare that to the amount of money that's invested in education, for instance. Um, it, yeah, it's 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 revolting. Yeah. 
And one of the main problems I have, I, I wouldn't have a big problem with it if, like, a right. of the merchandise <laughs> was, like, American-made. But a lot of this stuff comes from uh, – a, a lot of this stuff comes from China, which Absolutely. we talked about it before. It's modern-day slavery over there. They get paid one cent, two right. cents to do Absolutely. 15 I know. hours of work. I mean – and, and, you know, uh, we have our own issues here in America and, you know, people just want to overlook it. I mean, it's like, OK, you know, I, it's cool. I know I won't buy any of the stuff. I mean, only only time I'll spend money is if it's uh, <laughs> right. like a video game from like 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear you, man. But that's I, I think, again, part of the reason why we place that value on things is because we love the the heroin the opiate of entertainment and and ignorance right because if i'm watching the super bowl if i'm doping myself up on yep. constant entertainment it don't matter what it is music movies sports even news right whatever i am not having to deal with the real situations of people who are hurting in front of me or people who are hurt as a consequence of my my constant consuming habits right or my support of you know, an industrial complex that is yeah. taking advantage of other nations, causing political disruption in those nations and raping their natural resources as well as exploiting their labor. You know, I, I can turn a blind eye to racial injustice in my country yeah. as long as Tom Brady is throwing the football well. And I think that was one of the biggest things, like when we saw the kneeling <laughs> a couple of years yeah. ago, I think it really disturbed many Americans because it was like, hey, this is my hair, this is my dope house. Like, I don't want to hear real life stuff while I'm sitting here doping up. I'm trying to yeah. inject myself with ignorant bliss. The last thing I want to be reminded of is the amount of young black men and women who've been murdered by police in front of me. And I'm not saying that that sentiment is right. It's very, very wrong. Yeah. But it just shows and the level of addiction and the response that addicts give, right, that we'll give as a country, as a society, when people interrupt our, our entertainment. Yeah, and I know personally, I'm probably one of the biggest mm -hmm. Saints fans out there, uh, the Saints football team, and I wasn't going to watch the Saints like at right. all this season uh, because of uh, Drew Brees. He made some comments on Kaepernick. I was like, you know, I don't agree with that. I'm probably not going to watch this season. But then the only thing that saved me is uh, Brees apologized for it, and then Donald Trump was like, no, 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 you didn't right. need to apologize for that. And then Brees was like, oh, yes, I did, sir. <laughs> And, you know, that kind of saved me. Uh, I watched most of the Saints game this season. But uh, I, I don't know how much longer I can watch football then or basketball. Well, college basketball game. is sad. Just, like, you know, we talk about there's always been sort of like comparisons between, you know, sports and slavery, right? Kind of having like male slaves fight against each other like they used to do. And back in the days, you've probably seen a fictional portrayal of this in Django. Um and that sports are kind of the same thing, right? It's these white men who own these yeah. teams and essentially own the players, right? And their their economic futures, even their physical futures. Because if uh, just like with racehorses, right? If a racehorse can't run anymore, what do you do? You take it out and you shoot it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you retire that horse. And it's the same thing. If an athlete gets, yeah. you know, CTE, isn't that what it is? Like the concussion or whatever. Then what do you do? Just, oh, yo, you're done. And we maybe don't even have to play you yeah. um, or pay you. And I feel like it's kind of even worse with college athletes because you know that you're intentionally picking these kids who are coming from 
rural communities where they don't have a lot of options in front of them or inner city communities where they don't have a whole lot of money or education resources. Sports is kind of their only, yeah, their only, but it's one of very few avenues that they have for success. You're exploiting that. But if this child gets hurt or something happens, you're really easy. It's really easy to just dismiss this kid. The kid gets in trouble in school. I would just dismiss him. And you'll sell his jersey number, even though it doesn't have his name on the back of it, but you'll sell his jersey and make all sorts of money, but give him none. And that, to me, doesn't make sense either. Like, I don't care about not putting yeah. names on the back of the jersey. If Duke sells a number seven jersey, we know exactly why this jersey is selling. So why doesn't he get paid from that? Mm-hmm. I know a free... Yeah, a free education is great, but how many college students are coming out of college and saying, I've got this awesome education, but now I also have debt and I have no job. I have nowhere to go, you know, and it's probably even worse for athletes. I mean, Michael Jordan majored in human geography. MJ, if you didn't play if sports, didn't work out for you. What were you going to do with a human geography degree? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's my point. Kind of like there needs to be some yeah. financial incentive and just payback. It's just it's just right. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I I know I knew a couple people who played college football, and I know if you're uh, my, I call him a brother. Uh, his name's Lorenzo, and I he's I've tried to get him on the podcast because he's a police officer, but uh, recently he mm. with all the stuff going on, they had to go back to police training, you know, just to train a little bit more. They're not allowed to have their phones there, but um, I know. I, I've asked him a couple times about it. Now, his opinions might have changed as he's gotten older. But when he was in college, he played at uh, Florida International University. Okay. And he was in the last NCAA football game. Right. And, you know, the, obviously they don't get paid for it. Uh, at the time, he did not have a problem with it. But his opinions may have changed now that he's gotten older. But at the time, I don't think smaller people, smaller players have. Uh, any mm. arguments on it? I think it's more the big players that actually deserve it. Like you telling me, like um, uh, Johnny Manziel, when if they would have made a video game, you're telling right, me right. Johnny Manziel or Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota shouldn't shouldn't get paid. That, I agree, a hundred percent. Especially when we start talking about likenesses, <laughs> absolutely, those guys should get paid. You know, and that gives them more choice to be able to say you know what, maybe I don't want to go into professional sports. Maybe I want to take these few million dollars, take care of my family, and invest them in, I don't know, education for, for people in my community, or I want to invest them in doing something else, a law degree, going to law school. Like, who knows the other avenues and opportunities that could be presented to these athletes if they were getting paid in college and the whole focus wasn't them being funneled, trained, raised, kind of bred almost to play sports. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if you want to add anything else on that. Let's do it. Let's get it real quick. Let's move on to courtside Karen. Okay. um, I I, I wasn't (laughs) pardoned the interruption when I heard about courtside Karen or whatever. And um, I believe LeBron said that like he he liked it because, you know, the fan interactions have like been gone forever. And, you know, having, like, anybody trash talk right, on the side, right. like, hey, we're, we're almost back to normal around here. <laughs> uh, personally, uh, I feel like 
if you're gonna eject Corey, <laughs> right? He's gotta stand up and clap. That's right. That's right. It's like his favorite thing is to move to clap, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I agree, but. The, yeah. the, the situation with courtside Karen, of course, is not just that her or her husband, who actually started the thing, were making comments or just being fans, right? But it's that they were intensely, yeah. in, intentionally antagonizing and saying mean things to LeBron. And if you're going to pick on any athlete, LeBron is prob- should be the last person on your list because he's probably the most powerful person in the NBA. Um, so if you say anything to him, He's not going to get in yeah. trouble. He has the power at pretty much any stadium he goes to to tell you, hey, get out. And security, guess what they're going to do? They're going to escort you up out of there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They're going to take you up out of there because they're not going to stop that game. And they're not going to eject LeBron because yeah. then at that point, then the game's over. Like, who's watching this? Right? So you already know what that, what time that is. But from what, yeah. you know, what we know of the event, like, we don't, I don't know everything that he said to her. Maybe some people have really watched all of the tapes. It said, you know, it seemed like he didn't refer to her directly as the B word, but was saying something like, hey, and you're not even wearing a mask in this ish, right, sort of thing. Um, so, but regardless, she was the yeah. one that started with, you know, yelling obscenities at him and trying to defend her husband, which I don't understand why she was trying to defend her husband. Your husband's a grown man. LeBron James is a grown man. You really don't have nothing to do with this. Um, and she ended up having to apologize and she knew she had to apologize. <laughs> it also just shows the power of black yeah. Twitter and Le- LeBron James on Twitter. Cause all he had to do was like Nicki Minaj, like get him, you know, and then his social media following is just, they're swarming you, you know? So. Yeah. And he gave her that name at first. Yeah. I thought the media uh, gave but, her that name or like the culture gave her that, but no, he, you, you know, he was very intentional and strategic and what he did to attack that woman, he knew exactly what he was doing, you know, and how to use social media. He's become very clever with that. So, yeah, yeah. Honestly, my my thing on ejecting fans is, you know, <laughs> obviously I, I've seen it so uh, Russell Westbrook. I love Russell Westbrook. By the way, I just I love that guy. I love that guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I love Westbrook too. I think he gets way too much hate. Honestly. But I've seen Westbrook get so many people thrown out of games. I'm like, you know what? You, hey, you, you're, you're in the league now, yep. so I, I really don't care, man. You do what you want to do. <laughs> just, just as as a favor. That'd be you know, hilarious. To, oh my goodness, that'd be hilarious to see Drake get thrown out. I mean, he would never get thrown out of. I don't know what the name of the stadium is in Toronto, but he would never get thrown out of there. But. He could definitely get thrown out of like Staples. <laughs> he could th- he could get yeah. thrown out of uh. It's not Phillips anymore. What is it? State Farm Arena. Yeah. What we got here now? You can get thrown up out of there. For sure. Yeah, it would uh, be funny. Yeah, that'd be my dream to see Drake. Hey, they did it to Spike Lee. Lee. Remember that? They like they wouldn't let him enter back in through the um, tunnel or so- something like that in New York. Like, how dare you do that? You know, at, at MSG to Spike Lee, like Spike Lee, man. Oh like, yeah. That that is true, but I I don't know if Spike Lee actually did anything. I I just <laughs> right right telling Reggie Miller typical Spike Lee behavior. Yeah, imagine imagine 
Miller just <laughs> How, well, he would have got roasted because back in those days, in the eighties and the nineties, basketball was a lot more, for lack of a better word, thuggish. Like it was just very physical, and you know everybody knows the you know what Detroit was looking yeah. like back in those days. We've all seen the Last Dance. Like those guys wasn't playing. There was no room for softness, you know, or any sort of gentleness in the league back then. So he wasn't getting nobody ejected. Yeah. <laughs> that just wouldn't. If you did that, you would have the media would have turned against you as a player, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's everything. No, that's it, man. This has uh, been a great conversation. Yeah, you Thank you again for having me on the show. All right. Um, I'm looking okay, forward so to it. On, you, you should be on again Sunday, right? Okay. Um, two things about Sunday. Uh, we're gonna have my we're gonna have my co-host on. He's a buddy. He's a, he's a baseball dude. Um, and he watches football. He gets football. He's not a big basketball guy for kind of the same reasons. I'm not a big basketball guy. Okay. <laughs> anymore, but uh, he knows about the trades and stuff like that. Um, and okay. on Sun on Sundays we kind of we do our own. Pardon the interruption. Where I'll I'll have like our own uh, three some list of subjects that aren't as important, mm-hmm. but we'll do the part of the interruption thing where you get like two minutes to talk about it, and so we'll do that. And you are more. Than I can't wait. It'll be exciting because it, it's pretty fun for us, honestly. And then uh, one last thing on Sundays we kind of do like this reaction thing where we watch like a five minute video. Ah, if that absolutely, right absolutely. Uh, do you want to be involved in that? I can send you the video if you want. Okay, all right, cool. Uh, I'll send you the video and I'll uh, send you the topic mm-hmm. for Sunday uh, at some point later today or tomorrow. All My right. pleasure, man. Thank you, you again, podcast man. We appreciate it. Look forward to Sunday. All right, peace.